turn to the letter to the Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12. We're back here again in our One Another series. We find going through the book of Romans, there's a number of one another's, and we're just going to kind of follow through the way that the apostles started dealing with some of these and just stating these things. And so we're back in Romans chapter 12 again in our study on reflecting Christ. The military is an organization that is all about uh, structure. It is uh, important to have structure. I remember having a roommate in college, and a friend, or two roommates in one room, and I had one that had been in the Army Reserves, and he had already, before coming to college, had been through the Army, and so when he got to the college I was at, rules of getting up at 6.55 and going to bed at 11 and cleaning your room and this type of thing uh, was the norm for him. <clears throat> Another roommate that uh, came from the hills of uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and he didn't like these rules because they were restrictive and everything else, and he went through a full year of school there, but he said, you know what, I've had enough of this, I'm going to go join the Marines. And he went and did that and suddenly found out that there was more structure to life that could possibly be had. Part of that structure is understanding your place in the organization, knowing what you are and where you're at and who's over you. Uh, and uh, it is very much a, a part of the life of being a soldier that you know those who rank over you. You're literally private or ensign. You're the lowest person on the totem pole. And what that means is that if individuals come into the room and it's in a, a situation where there's saluting that's required, you salute first. You know, the officer above you doesn't necessarily have to respond with a salute, uh, but you have to. You go, why do they do that? Because they want to make sure you understand your place. Now, I was looking through this and uh, remembering uh, all of these details when it comes to saluting and the like, and that you are supposed to, uh, and the occasions, uh, the occasions where somebody higher rank comes in, you are supposed to salute, stand, and do that. But there's one individual that outranks everybody. And you go, that's the general of the army. You go, no. You say, who is that? Well, <clears throat> there's an individual, and they're rarer than they have been because they've been passing off the scene, but there's individuals who are known as the Congressional Medal of Honor winners. These are individuals who, uh, for their valor, have been, by act of Congress, decided to give the highest award uh, that can be given to a person in the military. It's an act of Congress that this is given, though oftentimes it's given by the President of the United States when it's officially bestowed on the individual. But it doesn't matter who you are if you're a general, a colonel, sergeant, or a private when you enter the room, when a Medal of Honor uh, recipient enters the room, everybody salutes them. You go, why is that? Well, because the understanding is here's a person who's done the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate service, and that this person is worthy of honor because of the service that they've rendered. A lot of times you don't have the opportunity to, to have a living Medal of Honor winner. They usually die. It's uh, given to them posthumously, uh, as it's described, uh, that uh, you can't give it to them because they have passed off the scene. 
But there is a level of order and respect where you have individuals that sometimes in the military will use that position, I guess you could say this, abuse that position to show off that they are superior to other people. You know, they, 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 there's others that will be in there and recognize that they are probably the highest ranking individual, but to them it's not about that, it's getting people to do the work that needs to be done and you're there to help them out. But you do have individuals that, uh, in their position of authority, make sure that everybody knows their position in the structure. You have individuals that are like that, and you get uh, this understanding that sometimes there you have people who have abilities, but they're not very humble. And what the Scripture has here is a passage that talks about both honor and humility. It combines the two. Uh, There are things in between it, but as you read through it, there's this one another statements that are given, and you suddenly realize that part of uh, one anothering uh, in the church, it includes the idea of honor and humility. You have this passage, I want us to start where it starts, verse 9, and we're going to read down to verse number 16 in Romans chapter 12. And it says this, let love be without dissimulation. We'll get to what that means here in a second. That's a big word. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another in brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant uh, in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. As you look at this uh, passage of Scripture, we went through this uh, several years or a year ago, a year and a half ago, that we went through this passage of Scripture and we kind of came to this and just said, this is like, uh, this passage, as you go through it at this point, is like going through a grocery list. You know, you have a, maybe a list of things to do or you have a grocery list and there's no real rhyme or reason to it. It's just, you know, these things have to be bought or these things have to be done and you just kind of look at it and it's not very long an explanation, but there's just a lot of things that just have to be done. And as you go through this, there, there is this uh, theme that is, we've already talked about of the idea of both honor and respect for others and humility of one's own mind and one's own self that we treat others uh, with respect that we would, uh, would enjoy to have, but yet that we don't think any higher than we ought to think. But there's a lot of stuff in between those statements of both the idea of honor and respect in verse 16 as we talk about humility. There are things that in the midst of that show that we're honoring others. And that we have a humility that we're willing to abase ourselves and put ourselves under other individuals that in many cases aren't deserving of that honor and respect and that humility. 
You start off with this list, and it just starts off this way, that individuals ought to love sincerely, display sincere love. I mean, this is the whole idea of reflecting a Christ to one another. This whole one another thing as we started off is the idea that you love others. Just as Christ loved us and God the Father loved us, we're reflecting that to one another uh, in the church body. But Paul has to command this and, and make sure that people understood this, that we can sometimes show love in a wrong way. This idea of uh, showing love, uh, with a, and the idea there, without dissimulation, you, know, you can put it off to the side, underline that, and just say that you love sincerely, that it is the real deal when you're displaying love. Because that idea of sincere is uh, used, and it was in the realm of that world in that time, uh, to talk about the genuine article when it came to things like pottery and things like that. Because oftentimes what would happen with pottery is that when individuals would have gone through and shaped all of this and then went through and went through the baking process to heat that, to make it more solid than just the clay that was there, you would oftentimes have cracks that would form. And so you didn't want to say, well, I just wasted all of my time doing this. Uh, I've got to throw this pot out. And what some would do is that they would heat wax and fill in the cracks. So when you would buy this in the marketplace, you would go, okay, this looks wonderful. It's got this paint job on the outside, this uh, pottery that I've just bought. And then you would go home and you would use it and it would start falling apart. The way that people tested whether or not pottery was sincere or not was to take that pottery and in the sun hold it up and see if they could see through the pot. If they were seeing sunshine coming from the other side or that type of thing, they would realize that this was not a sincere piece of pottery. It was a fraud. It was a fake uh, of this way. It is the idea when you get to the, the Greek use of this word, it's the idea of wearing a mask. It's the idea of uh, this, uh, when it came to Greek plays, everyone wore a mask. You never knew who the people were because they had a mask in front of their face, uh, and it might be a happy face or a sad face, but it was literally plastered there on their face. And you didn't know what was going on behind that mask or who it was. And for the Apostle Paul, he uses this uh, word, a sincere love, or without, we might put it this way, without hypocrisy, that this is how we ought to love one another. Not that we just merely put on a smile and go, okay, I got to be a person who shows sacrifice and selflessness to others, and it's just kind of something that we work up, but it's really not the real deal. Apostle Paul says, don't do that. Don't, don't do that in the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you have a statement where Paul talks about unhypocritical love, and he makes this statement, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by loved and fain, uh, love without hypocrisy. One has made this comment, there must have been a temptation for imperfectly instructed Christians to claim virtues they did not have 
But the New Testament writers consistently look for sincerity, especially when it comes to the question of love. Now, when it comes to love, you also can find out what somebody loves by what they hate. You can find out if a person uh, really loves somebody if they actually don't like what that other person doesn't like. Here you have, as you look at this passage in verse number 9, it says, Love without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. We well, use the word hate that which is evil. And cling, cleave to that which is good. In this section, you're starting to get into these uh, very quick statements, but it's just simply hate evil. And Psalm 97, verse 10 says this, Ye that love the Lord. Now, there's people who say, I love the Lord really well it says this hate evil you go why because god hates evil he despises it you find this to be the case that the ones sometimes that scream the loudest that they love jesus are the ones doing the very thing that he hates they delight in doing those things and so love is not genuine when it leads a person to do something evil or void doing what is right as defined by God and His Word. Genuine love, the real thing, will lead the Christian to what is good, which is the result of a transformed heart and mind. So just starting off here, the Apostle Paul, when he's getting into this one another statements again, he's just simply saying, you ought to love, it ought to be sincere. If you claim to love God, will act like it, and it'll display itself by the things you love and by the things that you hate. And that when it comes to serving one another, if you are one who says, I love Jesus, but you can't love the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, you can't love them, maybe the love's fake. It's a fraud. So he starts with that. But then he goes into the statement of, be a family. Say, okay, where's that at? Verse 10, be kindly infectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. You have this statement that you love dearly or you be kindly affectioned is the word uh, philos. It's the idea for a, a, a affection for friends and family. That we ought to have that, and he's not talking about the relatives outside that are, we would say, blood relatives. He's just simply talking about this. As a church body, we're a family. He said there ought to be an affection, an affinity for those that are part of the church, that are ones who claim the name of Christ, that come together and serve uh, in the church. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, as 1 Timothy 5 and verse 1 and 2 would talk about this. And so you have this idea that you love one another as a family. That ought to be the case, that when the family is hurting, that the family reaches out. When the family is rejoicing, we're going to see this in a second, that you ought to rejoice with them. That's just part of this. But the other thing in this being a family is that it says here, verse number 10, that we are to be uh, in honor preferring one another. The idea of preferring one another is this idea, don't wait around for people to recognize your contributions and praise you. Instead, be alert uh, to what they are contributing and honor them. You know, we are looking uh, in many cases, and it's our pride, that we want people to notice what we've been doing. And what the Apostle Paul says is you've got a responsibility to recognize what other people are doing. 
to see that, to, to see what they're doing, and to praise them for that. I mean, preferring one another is the idea that you're leading out in honor. You're going to take this person and say, this is something uh, worthy of praise. You've done something that's been helpful. You've done something that's been good. And we ought to be the individuals in the church. Uh, each one of us are ones where we see what others are doing and just th- praise them. Or we might say this, thank them as you see the things that they're doing. A family, you hope that that goes on uh, in the, the life of the family. So it is in the church that you have individuals that are like family and they see the contributions of the family and they thank uh, other members of the family for what they have done. We're going to get into this a little bit longer or later uh, in the sermon. Uh, but the, the idea that Christ is like this. And we'll talk about this in a passage that is probably familiar to you. But he had a mindset that was like this. And so we ought to reflect this also. You get to verse 11, you have this idea that we ought to be serving and doing things with a passion. With a fervency, with an excitement. Look at how it's uh, described here. That you're not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Uh, That first statement is just this idea that believers are not to be lazy. Instead of caving to inactivity, believers ought to have as their delight to be diligent and earnest and disciplined. There ought to be an excitement about serving others uh, and a a joy to do this. Uh, Don't be lazy where zeal is needed. Or we might say this, don't be weary in, as it is stated in 1 Corinthians 15, don't be weary in well-doing. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. I mean, that, that sounds like someone who's got a lot of energy and they're bouncing from one place to another like a tigger. Okay, that they've got this kind of excitement about them, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That you're not lazy uh, in doing things, that you're fervent in spirit. The idea is this, is that you have a, a passion in your soul to serve. You know, Paulus in Acts chapter 18 and verse 25 was described as being one that was burning in spirit. But what the idea is there is that he was one who was passionate about getting across the message of the gospel. For him, that was uh, the thing that caused him to uh, really set fire or set a flame in his own mind. And being on fire has the idea that we don't lose steam, that we don't get to a point where we're not passionate about this. But You're, in a sense, a slave to the Lord, as it ends there in verse 11, that you're slaving to the Lord. You're able to serve the Lord by doing what? By helping others. You can serve the ones that are visible. And in serving the ones that are visible, you're serving the Lord. And you have that passage in Matthew chapter 25 where it talks about individuals who do things for others and the Lord commends them for that. And they say, well, when did we do that? And he said, well, when you gave a cup of cold water to somebody, when you did something for somebody else, you were doing that as unto me. Well, we ought to show our service to the Lord and reflect it in serving those ones that we can actually see, that there's an excitement about this and that there is not a sloth that is going on. You see in verse 12, and we're just kind of running through this list quickly because it's not the major portion here, but the idea is that when you're a Christian, you also move ahead in confidence. 
It says there, rejoice in hope. You're patient in tribulation. You're continuing instant in prayer. This is the idea that you're looking forward, that we don't have this life that we're going to be here for very long. We look forward to something else. We rejoice in hope. We're confident that the life we're living here, whether it be 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, whatever it may be, that there is something that we're looking forward to someday. And so you just kind of go, will this ever end, this kind of work and the things that I have to do in serving? And the answer is, well, you'll just start, you know, you're just starting what you'll do in glory. Get to serve the Lord that way and, and you'll be rejoicing with others. But the understanding is, is that this is not it. Hope can lift an individual out of present circumstances and rejoicing is the re- inevitable result. You just think about this. You're doing things for God while you have a chance here, but you're going, you know what? I'm looking forward to something else. This is going to be a greater time that is coming. I mean, if you have that kind of a, an attitude when you look forward to uh, what is in store for us, that you're patient in tribulation, you can endure difficult circumstances and difficult people. You know, in serving others in the church, sometimes people can be difficult. They're not easy to deal with all the time because they're not uh, as perfect as you are. That's why we sometimes think. But they're, they're hard to work with sometimes. Well, you can endure through individuals with that if you have a forward look uh, in life. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of go, Lord, I can't do this as we were having this morning and looking at the prayer where finally you have uh, Jacob coming to the end of the line. He's going, I can't solve the situation. And he's praying about this. So it is sometimes we are devoted to prayer, as you find there at the end of the verse, that we have to be individuals who are persistent in prayer because sometimes it is difficult to work with other people. And you say, Lord, I just need the strength to do this. You find in verses 13 and 14 that as individuals who are honoring and are uh, honoring others and are humble yourselves, this means at times you're going to have to give abundantly to believers and to difficult people, to persecutors. Verse 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. And this section is the idea that you are is somewhat, uh, some say, somewhat limited to financial material help for believers. Uh, this does not rule out that people in the world need help, but believers are to help out family members just as one is to help out real family members. It ought to be at times where you have uh, people that are in the world that see your care for people inside the church and go, we don't even get that from real family members i mean you've heard this happen before if you're ever doing any serving or helping of others uh in the church and especially in more shut-in situations and people just kind of go wow i wish my family did that there ought to be that kind of thing going on in the church where we're meeting the needs of others and it looks like we're family now, are you family? You know, I, I have this quite often, and you've probably had this too, when you've gone to visit somebody who's sick. The doctor comes in and they go, oh, are you family? Now, for them, they don't have uh, individuals who show up that are outside of family. You know, they don't do that in a hospital. Uh, that ought to be the case when people see our care for others. We're to pursue hospitality, and you go, what does that mean? Well, this is the idea of providing housing. Back in that day, you didn't have hotels that people stayed at. And if you did stay in something like that, it was a place that wasn't that good. 
It's not that it was, uh, you know, it just, you know, the, the sheets weren't finally done and that type of thing. It was just a place of bad reputation. And so what you found in the church back then was that you'd have individuals that come through and they'd go, you don't have any place to stay? Stay here. We'll take care of you. Now that's what we do for, think about it this way, that's what we do for family. That ought to be the case amongst us, amongst one another as we look at this. But at times, you may have to show kindness to people who aren't so nice. You have that in verse number uh, 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. You say, I have to show honor and respect and care for people who are unloving. And the answer is yes. And you go, why? Because if we're reflecting Christ, Christ showed good to those that were undeserving. He reigns and shows uh, His sunshine upon both evil people and good people. That's what God does. That you have a Christ who is willing to do good to those that even hated Him, that cursed Him. You find this among Stephen as he's being uh, crushed by stones, that he's blessing those that cursed him. He's doing good uh, to those that aren't necessarily that nice. And so sometimes our service will be called uh, to others in the family uh, to serve people who aren't so nice. Hopefully we can't say that about church members. But sometimes you can have that. Verse 15, the idea is this, is that as believers, if we're honoring one another, we'll be sympathizing in every situation with others. You know what does sympathize mean? Sympathize means to feel with other individuals. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know, some of you would say, I'm not that kind of an emotional person. I'm not a person who has highs. I'm not a person who has lows. I'm just kind of very even keeled. It's hard for me to do this. You know what the Scripture is telling us? Get good at it. When people are rejoicing, you aren't the one who reigns on the parade. When they're sad, what are you doing? You don't make them feel more miserable. You come alongside and try and lift them up, encourage them in that situation. And they may be broken by that. And at times we may go, why are you broken about that? Well, they are. So you know what? We have to go and help them. Strengthen them. It is times hard to rejoice with them that rejoice because sometimes those people have gotten the very thing that we would like to have. You know, is that sometimes why it's hard for us to rejoice with them? They've gotten something that we're kind of going, why didn't I get something like that? Well, if you believe in the divine plan of God and that God does certain things and He brings certain things into our life, then you're going, well, this is part of God's plan. God's done a good thing for them. I ought to rejoice with them. God's done something wonderful for them. And when they sorrow, they may have the feeling that God has, in some way, cases, perhaps failed them. And what you've got to do is come along the side of them and lift them up and just remind them, no, your God hasn't failed you. That your God is still there. That He is a one that is there to aid you at all times. He's not, as we even sang the song this morning, that He will not forsake. No, ever do that. He won't do that to his own. But ultimately, you get to the end of this, and it's, it's just kind of the closing off of everything. You start off with honoring, where you honor those that are worthy of honor, and you go, who's that? Everybody around me. 
But he closes off in verse 16. The idea is this, be humble with every person. You have to start this way. You have to think humbly. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. This understanding is that humility doesn't just start in actions. It starts in your thought process. Say, really, does it? It does. The greatest passage in humility, anybody know what that passage is? Because it's got the supreme example in it. I want to turn there. Philippians chapter 2. What people forget about in the book of Philippians is that Philippians is not about rejoicing, though it does have that as a theme. And so they'll come and go, hey, Philippians is about, hey, rejoicing. You need to be more happy in life. And, you know, some people get off on that. The book of Philippians, if you read through and mark through, has a number of statements about thinking and your mind and your thought processes. And you go, well, what does that mean? The Apostle Paul is getting across the way you think affects the way you act. And so when you get to this this section where he's been challenging these believers for them to think a certain way and to think a a, a, a certain mindset, he then comes with a challenge right in the middle of his letter in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1, and he makes this statement. If there be any consolation or comfort in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, the idea of emotions, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, that you are a unity that's there amongst the believers, of one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And then this statement, verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I mean, for us, there are times where we think, well, people ought to be paying attention to me. And the Lord's just saying, no, your responsibility is to pay attention to other people what's going on in their lives. And this is a mindset. Looking out for needs for others. You go, well, that person is like this and that person so-and-so. And do you understand what that person's background is and what they're like? And there's none of that in this passage that is the exception. And you think about, this is the mindset that Jesus Christ had. When we got to the first part of this and we said, when it comes to the military, there's a certain hierarchy and you have certain people that are going, you know, to the, the highest officers. And when you think about this, when Jesus Christ came into the world, should that not have been what everybody did? Here we have the creator of the universe and he's walking amongst us. And we should respect him. And that should have been the case. But what we're talking about is not what should have happened, but what Christ did for others. And you see the statement in verse number five, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he was God. Okay, just understand that that's what that statement means. 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a slave, a servant, and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he did what? He humbled himself. If anybody walked the face of the earth and had a right to say, no, that person ought to be doing stuff for me. That person ought to be, no, this person, you know, is claiming this and they ought to be, you know, looking at me and going, oh, that person's worthy of respect. That person's worthy of honor. And the Lord's not going around there, though he at times does say he is the son of God and that he was the creator. But most of the time what you find him doing is he's going around and finding people who are of, in the world's eyes, of low reputation, mean estate as you sometimes you talk about people who are not noble in the society and not noble in the world and and people would ignore them and the lord is going and finding them in order to not say hey i'm here now minister to me no he's going around and finding them and in many cases he's actively doing this it's not accidental uh, that he's going around finding these people he's intentionally going around and finding these type of people to serve i mean he's going around and doing this and in the ultimate uh, uh say uh, what goes on here at the end of verse number eight it says this and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross he was willing to suffer at the hands of people that should have been honoring him in order to serve them because he knew by his death that would be the ultimate service he'd be paying them the ultimate service and even suffering abuse at their hands he was doing the very one thing that they needed that is what we ought to be like in practicing amongst us as believers. And hopefully it's easy to serve believers. Hopefully we're not that believer who makes life difficult for everybody else and that we're known for that. But it ought to be in this realm, it ought to be seen a service and humility where individuals are willing to serve one another and it doesn't matter what your status is in society who you are, what the world would say, that's a very important person, and that one's quite not. That there ought to be an attitude of humility. And many times we forget we're really not all that important. I remember reading this years ago and then preaching this, but you got a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that kind of bursts everybody's balloon in the church. Apostle Paul says this, for ye see your calling, ye see your salvation, uh, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his own in presence. He simply says this, the church is filled with a bunch of people that aren't really impressive in the world. And he is, he's dealing with a church that he has to spend multiple chapters with them because they're going, hey, look at me. I've got this gift and you've got that gift. So I'm more important than you. So you ought to meet and look at me as the leader. And the apostle Paul from the start goes, God doesn't normally save those that are really special. 
You know why? Because oftentimes people just look at those people and go, well, they're saved because they're special. God's done something for them. And so for us, as we we come into uh, being a part of the church body, we have to recognize I'm not all that impressive. And it may be that the people around me aren't all that impressive, but I've been called to serve them. Like the Savior who was willing to die to save each one of us, He was willing to lower Himself and become a human being and enter into a cruel world. Say, what do you do with a passage like this where we're reminded of the fact of just being humble? I was reading through a book on one another's and came across a section where the person goes, just kind of check out what you're doing on this whole area of humility and the like. And they made this statement. Uh, they said this, take a careful look at your honoring others quotient. Kind of like, what do you mean you honor, honoring others quotient? We talk about people having a quotient. You, you, you have certain product that you have to have done by the end of the month and you have a certain quotient or certain things you're supposed to be doing. Well, he just simply says, hey, have you taken a careful look at your honoring others quotient? quotient? He goes, the following questions will help you to see if you're being the humble individual you're supposed to be in the church. He asks this question, how many situations can you recall where you purposely attempted to honor someone above yourself? Okay, just think about this. When was the last time that you went out of your way to intentionally honor somebody uh, and praise them? Is it yesterday, last week, last month? When was the last time this happened? In what ways did you reflect sincere appreciation for other people? When did you do this? Now, he makes a statement at the end. He goes, now, be careful here. Because you do have individuals in a society and even in a church that are known as backslappers. You know, what's that kind of a person? That they're praising somebody else, but it's not that they're praising that person because they want them to be praised. They're praising that person so it gives them an opportunity to brag. You know, you have this statement, the humble brag. But you have individuals that are like this. They're, they are opportunists using the opportunity to exalt others as a mean to exalt themselves. So this is their ultimate goal. We're not going around praising other individuals and serving them and honoring them with the hope of them reflecting that back to us. It should happen, but we don't merely honor and serve other individuals because of what we can get out of it. We do it because it's just a good reflection of our Savior. It may be difficult for us, one made this comment, it may be difficult for us to compliment and be humble and, and honor others above ourselves, and it may be because, of, first of all, we may be the type of person who cannot compliment others and enjoy their success because you've always been the center of attention yourself. You know, your life is all about you and you and you, and that, that's all it is, and you may have a hard time doing this. And it may be on the other side of it, you may just be one who is insecure. The difficulty for an individual like this, they have difficulty complimenting one another or others, is that they are insecure. 
These people are, 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 rather than being self-centered, don't feel very good about themselves and say, I'm not really all that important. And they don't really feel like that they have the opportunity and the right to honor and serve others because they feel so downtrodden themselves. Well, the fact is, is they've got to come to a right understanding that they are important when it comes to the church. We went through last week that we're part of a body and what has God done as part of the body? He's given each one of us giftings, abilities that can minister to needs of somebody else. And you go, well, it's not all that important. No, it is. The Lord's given it to you to, to minister to others. So don't view yourself in the, the light of, I can't be in, you know, I can't do this. And I, I, you know, I really couldn't be encouragement to somebody else. Yes, you can. God has created you to be one who can minister to others. And so for us, as we, we look at this passage, we just need to be reminded, what are we doing to honor others better than ourselves? How are we showing the humility of Christ and, and, and lifting others up, uh, being a servant to them? What is that like and how does it show and display yourself here in the church, first of all? Because if you're doing it here in the church, it's going to then eventually reflect out into the world that we live in, and they're going to see the servant's kind of heart. And so for us, may it be said of a church like this, that it's a church that is a family, that is, uh, it will be said that way, but it's also one where they just kind of say how they love one another, how they serve one another, that they see that. And thus it is bringing glory to God. As we sang as we're already here this evening, glory to His name. May we reflect in our service that He's the one worthy of glory. Look at the God I serve, not look at me. What a great God we have. Lord, we thank You. May we be individuals that in our lives as we are going through it, that we will see others, look for others, that we can encourage, that we can lift up, that the Savior came into this world and was humble. That He could, uh, in order to be able to serve others, He humbled Himself. We pray that we would be reflections of Christ in this church body as we work with one another, that we are lifting up one another, encouraging one another, praising one another for things that are being accomplished through us, that You're doing things that you accomplish uh, in the efforts of individuals here, may we be quick to praise, quick to thank, and that we would be a reflection of Christ in our humility and in our honor of others. In this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.